In this L&D Disrupt Live workshop, we're going to be talking about how you can build a winning strategy for LinkedIn with a particular focus on L&D, but really these principles can be applied to anyone, whatever industry you're in. So hopefully they will be helpful. Now, first of all, I want to ask what it is really that holds you back from posting on LinkedIn. I know a lot of us have thought in the past, I'd like to post more on LinkedIn. I'd like to start sharing more content. But a lot of the time we build up these kind of barriers in our heads. And I would love to know if there's anything in particular that, that holds you back. I know we had consistency already, but it'd be cool to hear if there's anything else. Oh, a great one from Pauline, actually. Hi, Pauline. Um, is, I guess the thing that's blocking you right now is just the pure thinking, would anyone actually be interested in what I have to say? Yeah. Yeah, these are definitely some of the common ones. Um, who am I to give advice? What if nobody engages with it? What if I don't um, see results? What if I can't be consistent? And I think often these are things that we make out to be far bigger than they are. And hopefully that's what I'm going to break down a little bit today is how we can overcome some of these mental barriers and stack the odds in our favor so we set ourselves up for success. So really the goal of today, I want to give you three things. One is the right mindset to approach in this process. The second thing is a winning process that makes it scalable, repeatable, easy for you to do over time. And the last one is a winning strategy so that what we do in parts one and two doesn't go to waste. So that's going to focus on uh, when do you post? How do you post? Um, how do you engage with other people on LinkedIn? And really the bulk of it is going to be that middle part, the content process. So it will kind of be bookended by those two smaller sections. But first I want to give you a bit of context, a bit of the why. Why do I think this is useful? Why are we talking about it today? Why you should listen to me? So for those who don't know me, my name is Gary Stringer. I'm Content Marketing Manager at HowNow. I've worked in marketing for about 10 years and L&D for about three. So I like to think I'm marrying the two together quite well to share relevant content about marketing and L&D. I'm also a former massive hypocrite. So the reason I started posting on LinkedIn is because I kept explaining to people that it was a bit of an untapped resource for us internally. We could do more social selling. Um, we could build more of our own personal brands. But if I was telling everyone else to do it, why wasn't I doing it myself, right? <clears throat> so what I decided to do between October and December last year was post on LinkedIn every working day for about 45 days. And you can see some of the results on the side here. I got roughly a thousand impressions per post, some good engagement. But the one I wanted to call out was the followers metric. So it took me about 10 years to go from naught people to 600. And that was by very rarely posting. Most of them are people trying to slide me in the DMs and sell me something. But in 45 days, I was able to improve that by 50%. So I grew by about 350 people. But what I want to call out is the relevance of that metric. So these aren't the massive numbers, right? I'm not going to be on diary of a CEO next week with 350 extra followers, but the right start, people started connecting with me. And some of you might see your names here, but people were head of culture, head of HR, head of learning and development. These were the people who started connecting with me because they saw me as a useful resource on all things L&D, marketing. And really, it was about the quality of the connections um, rather than the quantity. Now, I also want to call out a few L&D specific benefits of posting regularly on LinkedIn. So one, I think, is building your personal and employer brands. 
the more you're posting about how you're investing in people, the impact of your L&D efforts, the growth people are seeing internally, the more attractive you'll be in terms of attracting talent and retaining talent and making that visible, the more you're sharing that thought leadership stuff, the more people are seeing you as an expert internally. <coughs> the next one is why do most of us go to LinkedIn? Well, other than on the slide looking for new jobs, or trying to get some news. Most of us are there because we want to learn from like-minded people. So that's a perfect uh, mindset to connect with people in. We're posting in a channel where people are already engaged and willing to learn. The next one is about driving awareness of LND initiatives. Now, I posted about this yesterday, but often we look at completion and presume if people don't complete, there's an issue with the content. But really, it's about awareness a lot of the time. So Posting on LinkedIn can make you more visible and drive more awareness of your L&D initiatives. And the last thing is building a network that you can leverage. So L&D can be a lonely life. If you're a one-person team, don't have anyone else you can necessarily lean on, but the more you post and build an intentional network, the more you're building this area or this base of people that you can tap into. Um, whether it's just for advice or to create some content, if you've got low budget to create your own content. So there's some real specific L&D benefits of posting regularly on LinkedIn. Now, before we move on, Alfie, I just want to give you a chance to let me know if there's anything in the chat to, to look out for. Actually, another bit from Chi Chi, who's just mentioned that the networking benefit for her has been huge and that she's been able to connect with some brilliant people. And I think that's definitely a trend that lots of other people are seeing as well as they learn to kind of capitalise a bit more on LinkedIn. Yeah, no, I would agree. I've, I've seen that personally myself, especially in spaces like L&D and marketing. Um, people are so friendly. And I think coming back to that thing about who's going to engage with my posts, if you notice, like most people are just trying to help others and be kind and be respectful and celebrate other people who are trying to build their personal brand. And I really see that a lot of the time when I post there. There's a really lot of good people out there who just want to engage and, and learn from you and, and support you as well. So I want to move into this first part of the workshop, and that is about mindset. And the way I like to think of this is that you're an expert. You just don't know it yet or you don't believe it yet. And I want to share a personal story. So this is a podcast I listened to about mid-2022, and it's with a guy called Ross Simmons. And Ross was basically talking about how we can build a framework for SEO in 2023. And a lot of the stuff he was saying was very similar to the things I was already doing or I was explaining internally. And it made me realize that the only difference between me and him is that he was saying it. He was out there sharing his opinion, doing the thought leadership thing. And it made me realize the second thing is that most of us do the same things every day. If we work in sales, <coughs> we follow a similar cycle. If we work in customer success, we might manage the process similarly. In marketing, a lot of us doing SEO or copywriting or paid ads do the same things. So while we don't necessarily have unique perspective, uh, we're not doing unique things, we all have unique perspectives based on what our background is, what our context is. And therefore, we are all experts in our own right if we're willing to put ourselves out there. Now, the second thing that ties into this is that it doesn't take long to be seen as an expert. So LinkedIn has 800 million users, but most of them consume it passively. Very few people actually post, and you'll see from the numbers on this slide just how severe that is. So only around 3 million users share content weekly. Of the 260 million who log in every month, 
only one of them share a one percent share post, and that basically means that the very few people at the top net around nine billion impressions. So the vast majority of impressions goes to very few creators on LinkedIn. So it doesn't take long or much to be seen as an expert. And just one final personal example is a roundup post from a company called Shield, who they're basically a tool that uh, provides social media analytics to creators on LinkedIn, Instagram, and so on. And within like 30, 40 days of me posting, they included me in this uh, roundup of scroll-stopping LinkedIn openers from posts alongside some really great names. And I think one thing to call out is that it's not like Instagram. People aren't scrolling back through through your feed to see um, how much content you've shared, how long you've been doing it. All they see is a few posts from you that add value, and then they're keen to hear more and connect with you. Now, a little bit more on mindset. So no one is asking you today to sit down and write 30 posts. What we're trying to do is build this mindset where we say, can I post one good thing and then repeat the process? So if you look at it like Couch to 5K, I don't know how many people are familiar with that, but it isn't a two-step thing like today you can't run, tomorrow you run 5K. You get to half a kilometer, you learn lessons, you build up to one kilometer. The same thing applies with this LinkedIn. And it would be a similar idea would be if I wanted to lose 10 kilograms, I wouldn't be pressuring myself to lose all that 10. I would lose one, see what works over that period and do the same thing again. So there is no obligation to start posting every single day from today. And there's no obligation to create like a massive calendar of ideas this second. I think what we need to think about is, are we going to post consistently? Yes. Are we going to post when we have valuable things to say? Yes. And are we going to make a note of our ideas when they come to us? Yes. So I think one of the biggest challenges people do is they say, I'd like to post on LinkedIn more. And then they just open LinkedIn and then stare blankly at the box that says create a new post because they haven't decided what they want to post. And then there's basically this negative feedback, right? You, you sit there for 15 minutes, you go, oh, I can't do this. And then you leave it and you never come back to it. So this is kind of what I mean about stacking the odds in your favor when it comes to consistency. Uh, again, I think we're doing pretty good for time, Alfie. So maybe I'll just give you a chance to kind of ask questions before we move on. No questions, but actually Lucy's just shared a great point in the chat that I'd like to kind of let everyone know about. It was just around um, the kind of content to actually share. Um, Lucy's mentioned that just a simple kind of repost of the events or perhaps um, webinars like today, for example, that you're attending or joining. Um, it may not seem much, but it helps others because being able to share the kind of social proof of the things that you're attending and that you see value in um, also adds value to the rest of the people that you're following and the rest of your network on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, 100%. I think as well, a good point is if we want to be consistent, it, you can start small. It doesn't matter if at the start these are really like basic posts, you're just resharing a link because you think it'd be useful to people. I think that point is great that you can just build over time by doing small things, incrementally improving on those. And that's a little bit about what we're going to tackle now, which is how you build a content process by taking inspiration from everywhere around you. So here's a few sort of themes that I think are good starting points for people. And basically they come back to this idea of let's take something small and elaborate on it. So what are other people posting? You see a post from one person, it tackles a particular thing. You just add your two cents on it and pick out one part that you like. 
let's say you have a call every week uh, with the same people, but this time you spend the last two minutes clarifying all of the action points from that meeting, right? It's something out of the norm from what you'd normally do. And therefore, that's a new thing you can share with other people. I did this for the first time and this worked. You might have conversations internally just with someone from a different team who offers you a new perspective on an existing idea or thing you're working on. And again, you can leverage that and shout out the person internally who shared it with you. You might come across some research that's interesting and you want to add to your take on it. You might come across some news that's interesting. But the idea is not to view every post as war and peace. It's to take one simple idea, elaborate on it and add value, and then continue to scale that over time. And I want to shout out a few ways this might work for L&D in particular. So you can pretty much look at it in four buckets, awareness, thought leadership, internal data, and personal stories. Awareness would just be that thing about shouting out something new and exciting. We just launched this new leadership program. We now have a new L&D budget tool where people can have more control over how they spend their money for their development. Thought leadership would be to do with the things you're actually doing internally. How are you creating that new program? How have you set up that new budget tool to give it the best chance of success? So think of that about best practices, practical advice, internal data would be the numbers that indicate success or lessons learned. So we had 100 people attend this workshop and this is why we think it worked or nobody attend this workshop and this is what we learned. So with that sort of L&D spin, how are you creating content? Is it working? Is it not? Our initiatives connecting? What do the numbers tell you? And lastly is personal stories. Now, a great way to get more people on board with L&D is to call out particular human stories and personal angles to, we help this person go from um, A skill to B skill, or they were previously in this role and L&D helped them either switch teams or get promoted or uh, build their self-confidence. All of these things that add a more human element. I think those are the sort of things where they're quick wins for L&D. You're probably already doing it every time you pitch something to people internally every time you try and create these case studies to win more people over. Now, I'm a big fan of this meme from Pirates of the Caribbean, but essentially we're in a content opportunity now. So you might hear something today that really resonates with you. You just take that one idea, share it on LinkedIn, let other people know how they can therefore apply that to their everyday, how you might use it moving forward. So I think it's to look at everyday conversations and interactions or events that you attend as opportunities to bank some content ideas. Best way is just to do it on your phone. If you listen to a podcast, open up the notes and just say, right, I'm going to note down this one thing, come back to it later. If you see like an advert on the tube, if it's a marketing thing, if you watch two people interact in public setting and it gives you an idea to talk about leadership or empathy, you'll see it around you all the time. And the idea is to just keep banking these ideas and then expand on them. And what I want to do is just go through a few examples of my posts and explain to you where I got the inspiration from and how I just built the post out of a very small idea. So the first one is something I heard on a podcast about people spending a thousand pound upgrading their uh, seat on a flight because they want to get a better night's sleep on that one overnight flight. But then the same person not spending a thousand pound on a mattress that would give them a better quality of sleep every night for five years. All I did was drew a parallel with this in L&D, where people are spending their entire learning budget on one big event, but not the short things over time that are going to add incremental value, short-term productivity boost, uh, £5 on a course here, £5 on a book there, £20 on like a one-to-one -one, uh, consulting session. You know, these little things over time that are going to give you 
incremental increases in, in the quality of your training. The next one is very simply, the things you use every day will teach, teach you things about the things you do every day. So for me, that was Duolingo. I started using it last year. I noticed there were so many good things to learn from a copywriting and a user experience perspective. So I just banked a bunch of screenshots as I used the tool. I dropped them into a Canva template, shared this and got some great reach. The next one is you not, don't necessarily always have a big thing to expand on. So what you can do is just aggregate together small things that you learn and then create some sort of listicle based on that. So you might be in your first LMD role and you might say, here's 10 things I learned in my first 10 days, or it doesn't have to be that hook or that catchy thing. It can just be 10 lessons I learned in my first LMD role. But you can aggregate simple things together based on your personal learnings. Go back one actually. Another one is just to piggyback on news stories. Now, these are a great way to get a lot of reach in a short amount of time, but find something trending and topical, add either your own personal narrative or your company's narrative, and really expand on that. So, for me, it was just this thing about Microsoft letting a huge percentage of their workforce go and bringing in the how now narrative that if people aren't capturing knowledge over time, if a big seismic shift like this happens with redundancies, you will lose a lot of knowledge and you won't actually have enough time in that 60 or 30 day period to capture everything you need. So piggybacking on news stories is a great way to, to really leverage your reach and get some good engagement. The second, uh, well, there's two examples here about using numbers. So you can either take one statistic and expand on it with some narrative, or you can compile a bunch of useful statistics together. One thing I find is that people really like data and ironically, reports are one of the worst formats to consume data in, right? Because first of all, you've got the form to fill in. Then you wait for it to come to your inbox. Then you download it. Then there's four pages from some guy you don't know telling you why he wrote the report. And then there's about 50 more pages full of numbers that you're trying to sift through to find useful things. So this is a good way for us to remove friction for other people and add value by just taking um, content that is in a bad format and putting it into a LinkedIn-friendly native format so it can be consumed easily enough when people scroll. Another thing is to repurpose. So whether we're talking about other people's content or your own content, there is not always a pressure to create more content. What you can do is just leverage existing content you have and repurpose it into new formats, better formats, uh, more friendly and engaging things for people. So there's three questions I always ask myself when I create a piece of content. Is it going to be relevant again in the future? Because it's not just um, a flash in the pan idea. It might be something like performance reviews. They're always going to be very relevant. So we can say, I'll bank this content and I'll share it again once it's topical around the time of year people um, typically do their performance reviews. Your best performing content gives you a good idea of what your audience wants from you and what your audience expects from you. So whatever content does well, make a note of that then you have two options. Do you expand on that or do you just post it again with a bit of a break between? And then last of all, if you have faith that content was valuable but didn't get reach, can you sit on it and share it at a different time or in a different format or with a new caption until you think it gets the reach that it deserves? And I think this is a, an across the board thing, even applying to LND in general, there's not always a pressure to create more content. It's what you do with the existing content. Um, 
you know, you've already got a big bank of content. Can you reformat it? Can you make it more accessible? There's all these questions to ask before you give into that temptation just to create more content. Now, one way we can do this, uh, create content by not creating content is to use other people's content. And I'll quickly rattle through these very quick ways you can do that. One is the quote sandwich. So let's say you're reading an article. There's two great ideas, but they're separated within the piece. Sandwich those two things together and share it with people. Then we've got elaboration. Someone shares something, but on a surface level, and you think there's more to be said, you just take that person's quote and run with it. We talked about a friendlier format now, but essentially is something useful, but in a bad format for it to be consumed on LinkedIn. That means you can take that and run with it and, and do your own thing with it. Next is to enrich something. So what if you read one article, but there's another podcast or YouTube video that really complements it by curating those things together, distributing them to people, uh, you'll get value to them in a better format. And the last thing is timeliness. A lot of the time people distribute content at the wrong moment. So you might see a great post on mental health, but you know next month is like stress awareness month. So you might sit on that content from someone else and reshare it once it's more timely. Just a disclaimer here, we're not stealing people's stuff, but what we're doing is crediting them as the originator and then just expanding on it as much as we can. And I'll very quickly just talk about why some of these posts were good. So this one about the aggregating simple things. When we want people to stop scrolling on LinkedIn, we have to give them a good reason. And the best thing to do is have a good hook before LinkedIn inserts to read more. Now, this one is quite a good example because it's very clear what someone's going to get from it. Here's nine lessons I learned. And it's relatable to people. I posted on LinkedIn every day for 29 days for the first time. Now, as we know from the numbers, most people don't do this. So we know it's relatable. Other people can connect to it. The second and third thing, just use short sentences. If you put big paragraphs of text on LinkedIn, it's not going to work for people. It's not going to connect with them. People can't scan it easily because it's either very narrow on the desktop or on their mobile. And the last thing is six or less relevant hashtags. So I would recommend using a few broad ones, just like marketing, copywriting, and then some more niche ones. So you might use learning and development, but then you might talk about building a learning culture. So you might use the hashtag learning culture. So think about the overarching topics to help with your reach. Speak and uh, think about the specific hashtags that relate directly to the content. Then there's just two final things here. If you want people to take an action, you have to expressly put it out there for them. So do you want them to comment, comment on it? Do you want them to go and read a blog post? Do you want them to sign up to an event? You have to make that clear what you want someone to do within the post. So just signpost your call to action always. And another good way to stop people scrolling is to ask a question, something people can relate to or challenges an assumption. I think I gave this example before, but if I see while I'm scrolling, someone posts, have you ever bitten into a Greg's steak bake and then you burnt your mouth because it was the hottest thing on the planet? I'm going to see that and go, yes, I have done that about 10 times. So something people can relate to is going to encourage them to stop and read more about your post. The final part is really just about stacking the odds in your favor so that everything we talked about so far doesn't go to waste. And it's really what do you do and when? So for me, I found that Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays are the best days for post engagement. And this loosely tallies up with industry research from Sprout. They kind of say Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. But what you see consistently 
is first thing in the morning and the middle of the day are the best times people normally post. Uh, Alfie, I'm curious whether we're close to time, so I just want to see if there's any questions kind of worth getting to before we wrap up this section. Yeah, we have a question from Chi just around how much time do you spend uh, researching industry data for content purposes, or is it that it's a part of your day to day and you just think about how you can create content from that? Yeah, what I would do, I would just build a document like a living and breathing one. And every time you read something interesting, just dump the interesting findings into that. And that essentially means that it's one repository for all the data. And if you're short on an idea for a post or if you want to enrich some of your own content, you've always got this bank of research that you can go back to. So, um, yeah, I would say just read them as you go and create the findings as you go. There's nothing worse than having to go back through reports to try and find things. So, um, yeah, batching them together like that is going to is going to save you time and pain in the long run. Cool. There's just two things I want to end with, really. One, and they, they both tie back to you can still be seen as a thought leader without posting on LinkedIn, because even now after this session, you still might find it's quite daunting. So you could direct your energy into creating a better commenting and curating strategy. Now, you see this stuff on the left a lot, right? Posts that get a lot of reach, get a lot of comments. People spend a lot of time reading the comments on those posts, and most people's comment strategy is not very good. So it will just say, like, thanks for sharing. This is useful. Great post, Barry. Anything that's two or three words is basically kind of a meaningless platitude. What we want to start doing is more of the stuff on the right. Why did you like this post, right? Call out something that you liked about it that made it useful. How are you going to take part of that advice away and apply it? Do you have a personal story of why this resonates with you? Could you take one part and build on it? So someone says, uh, these are the five rules for a great one-to-one -one, and you think they missed something. You can say, yes, these rules are great, but in my experience, you can also do this. So it's about being more intentional with when you comment, because like I said, people are going through the comments on posts and they're often clicking through to look at people who post insightful comments. One small piece of advice on this front is just to make sure that your headshot, your bio, your description are all on brand, on point, because they will not only entice more people to click through, when they arrive on your LinkedIn profile, you want to think of it like a landing page. Is it a good representation of you? Is it more likely to convert people? In this case, conversion means following you when they see what you're posting in your bio about what you have to offer. So yeah, think about things like that. Your bio should be what value you bring, not just what your experience is and, and things like that. And the last thing is your curation strategy. So I'm just calling out a couple of people who do this really well on my feed, but one is Jerome McCormack, who's somebody you might be connected to through L&D, and the other person is James Lewenden, who used to work with here at How Now. But basically, even if they both posted nothing, they would still be thought leaders in my eyes because one, they're commenting on a lot of valuable content and therefore it comes into my feed and their comments are insightful. And the second thing is they're liking a lot of great posts that therefore come into my feed. Uh, so that you can be seen as a thought leader without even necessarily posting your own content. It's just about being intentional with the content you reshare, you like, and you comment on. And one final tip I wanted to give was not to get caught up in the vanity metrics. So we looked at this at the very start, but the people who were following me was the thing I was interested in. And especially if you're new to this, you might not see a lot of engagement on your posts. In fact, it's quite unlikely. So if you get caught up in thinking, this post only got two likes. It only reached 100 people at the very start. You're not going to do it over the long run. You're not going to be consistent. So the better mindset to have is 
especially at the start, is the quality of my audience growing? Are the right people connecting with me? And this will give you a better long-term chance of success because you're not getting easily deterred by metrics that actually don't indicate any real success at the start. So hopefully this is useful. You can take some of this stuff away. I would love to know how you use this moving forward. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you have any questions or want any advice about how to do more of this moving forward, then uh, also feel free to connect with me. You can just search for Gary Stringer on LinkedIn and I'll be hopefully one of the first ones that comes up. So Alfie, is there anything in the chat we kind of missed from the Q&A that uh, is worth getting to? Uh, no, nothing additional. Um, but I did have, actually have one question before yeah. we wrapped up. You mentioned in the best practices for content earlier to have like six or fewer hashtags. Why is that? I think most people would assume why you'd need fewer hashtags. Yeah, I think it's just to do with hashtag stuff in like one from a UX perspective. It doesn't look that great. I also think algorithmically six is the sweet spot and there's not really any science for that. It's, it's always hearsay with algorithms. It's like, well, Google's best practice is this, but no one really knows why the science is behind it. But yeah, I think it's to do with UX in terms of cluttering up your post and also in terms of just seems to be a sweet spot from for an algorithm perspective. Right. Cool. So yeah, if there's no other questions, um, just want to say thank you to everyone for joining us live and anyone who's listening. Actually, I just saw the chat icon go up. So is that another? Uh, just someone saying thank you. Very interesting. Thank I look forward to seeing everybody's LinkedIn posts over the next few. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to tag me in your post at, at the very bottom next to the hashtags, and I can see sort of all of these and how they're being used. Cool. Well, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And then Alfie, thank you for your help moderating the chat and everything. Much appreciated. All right. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Take care.